started a series last Saturday, Discovering Who I Am in Christ, Our Identity. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about being a child of God. I thought I'd start by showing you a picture. This is my family. When I was a kid, I'm the, I'm the kid in the red shirt. This was taken, I think, in 1975, somewhere around there. This is just before we were... We're, this is in Michigan, Rochester, Michigan, my grandmother's house. We were staying there for a couple days, and then we were getting in a truck, and we were moving to Rhode Island, um, where my dad planted a church. And so that's my dad and mom. But I'm, I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful that, you know, I was able to grow up in a Christian home. And I understand not everyone, not everyone has that opportunity. And I know some of you didn't have the greatest uh, upbringing. Maybe your parents, maybe they deserted you. I know that there's a lot of really sad kind of stories that I hear from folks in the church. And I, I know that as I look around the room, adults, we have kids. Now we have, we have grandkids. Being a dad is probably one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm thankful for my kids and I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity to, to still be involved in their lives and, and to love them and uh, try to be a, a, a loving dad who's an example to them as they continue to grow and mature. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about what it means to be a child of God. The Scripture talks about this. The Scripture tells us so much about what it means, what, what, what it is to be a child of God. And, and so tonight, I just want to encourage us. I just want to help us to understand who we are in Christ as God's children. We're all someone's child. And sometimes our perspective of God oftentimes is directly related to our parents. And if that was a, a bad situation, if, that was a, if, our, if our earthly father failed us terribly, sometimes we have a we have a hard time seeing our Heavenly Father in the light, in the right light. And so the scripture tells us, this is Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you have that tonight? Do you have, is, does his spirit confirm that in your heart? Does the Spirit of God confirm in your heart that you are a child of God? And if children, verse 17, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So let's talk about this tonight. In Christ, I am a child of God. And I'm going to give you 10 different aspects of what this is all about, being a child of God. And we'll try to move through them quickly, all right? The first one, I am adopted into God's family. As a child of God in Christ, I am adopted into God's family. To adopt, of course, someone uh, is to make a person a legal son or daughter. Uh, when I was in college, uh, one of my room roommates, Neil Gladfelty was his name, uh, he was adopted. And that was really the first time I had spent a whole lot uh, of time with someone who was adopted. And, and he really had a lot to say about adoption. He was from Lakeland, Florida, and his, his adopted father was an uh, optometrist, I guess it is, eye doctor in Lakeland, Florida. And um, boy, Neil was really grateful uh, that his parents adopted him. And how, when he talked about adoption, he always related it to, to God, how God has adopted us. We're going to talk about that here for a few minutes. In the Jewish world, a person's standing was based on his birth. That's why in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, um, who was a Jewish leader, and he asked Jesus, you know, what, 
what does a person have to do to get in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says to him that a person has to be born again, has to be born from above. And that's how Jesus explained to Nicodemus, a Jew, how to come into God's family. You have to be born into God's family. And so in the Jewish realm, that was the only way uh, to become a son or daughter. It was by birth. Uh, In the Roman world, however, a man had to pass his wealth on to sons, his sons. So if he didn't have a son, he would have to adopt one. And typically it wasn't an infant like we adopt today. Typically it was an older boy. In fact, they would even adopt a full-grown man. In fact, sometimes the son that they would adopt would be a man that was older than them. It's so strange, so foreign to how we think of adoption. But they were looking for a worthy son. And so once they were adopted, the adoptee would have all of his debts canceled, and he would receive a new name. And he would be then the legal son entitled to the rights and benefits of a son. It's also worth noting that a father in Roman culture could disown his natural-born son, but an adoption was irreversible. And so Paul here, as we just read a moment ago, writing to Roman audiences, he uses this metaphor of adoption. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul also writes the same. This is Galatians chapter 4. He writes, God sent his son to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And he says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And so while we were born enslaved, enslaved in sin, God bought us out of slavery, and we have been adopted by the Father, given the Spirit, and now we are heirs. We're heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So when we come to faith, what happens? All of our debts are canceled. We're given a new name. We're given all the rights that heirs of God possess. Uh, One difference from Roman adoption is that Christians are not adopted because God thinks we will make worthy heirs. God adopts people who are completely unworthy because he adopts us on the basis of his grace. And so, Christians, if you're born again here tonight, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then we have been born into God's family using the Jewish metaphor and adopted into God's family using a Roman metaphor. But the end result is the same. We are forever a part of God's family. Forever. God is our Abba Father. The name Abba there, that Aramaic Aramaic word, it just simply means father. Father, father. And I know that there's different scholars who see it different ways. Is it talking daddy? Uh, Some some say it's not that endearing daddy title, but it's more of a respect, of a, uh, a commitment to obedience that Abba refers to. It may be one or the other. I think there's a good case for the latter. But the point simply is, is that when we became Christian, we became an adopted son or daughter of God. And as an adopted son or daughter, We are heirs with Jesus Christ. Number two, as a child of God, we have our Father's likeness. We have our Father's likeness. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the saying, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, right? And uh, usually when we use that, we're usually referring to something derogatory, something awful. But we know what it means. It just means that children often exhibit the same traits as his or her parents. And when they're small, we pick up, you know, we, they, they, there's this likeness that we pick up on, right? We say things like, oh, man, he's a spitting image of his daddy, you know? Um, we can see it in the eyes. We can see it in some facial uh, 
some facial feature. We can see mom and dad, mom or dad in that child's face. And then as the child grows, they pick up on other traits, right? Uh, we say things like, you know, he's a hard worker like his mom, or she's gentle like her dad. Uh, our grandson, Jameson, in the, uh, he's just a year and a half almost, uh, just a little guy, and I think most of you know Jameson, he's got this, uh, this deal where his, the plates in his head fuse together. So he's got this oddly shaped head, and they're still working on it. They, they did one surgery. They got to go back and do another surgery here in a couple weeks. But it's so funny how Jameson is so much like his dad. His dad, David, um, is a real cut-up kind of a ham kind of a guy, and you can see that personality already coming out in Jameson. Cindy, uh, not Cindy, my daughter Alyssa says, it's funny, Dad, that they'll, they'll be laying on the bed, taking a nap, and they both sleep the exact same way. They're both kind of laying the same way. They got their mouth open, you know. Uh, that's, we, we, we've seen that, and you've seen that, right, in your own kids. It's almost a given that we're going to inevitably say something or do something like our parents. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the progressive commercials, the, right? Insurance commercials. Have you seen this guy? Dr. Rick, is anybody else a fan of these commercials? All right. Um, these painfully relatable stories about becoming your parents, claiming that nothing ages you like home ownership, uh, perhaps they say it's the financial strain, the added responsibility, or just the mental exhaustion of learning how to fix a million different things five minutes after you move in. But Dr. Rick here, Progressive's world-renowned parent, parent-to-life coach, right, he's here to help. And so uh, he's dis- he dispenses this tough love wisdom to his client, clients that just can't stop themselves from from imitating their mothers or, or fathers. And I love what they, the, the term they've coined, this transformation called parent amorphosis. Parent amorphosis. Have you seen this happen? Are you familiar with this process? I mean, I, I've seen it in my kids. I've seen it uh, in, in my brothers and sisters, you know, how we become like our parents. And, and so here in these commercials, like whether it's clapping at the end of the film, right, and Dr. Rick says, look, no no one who made the movie is here to hear you clap, right? They're not here to, you don't have to clap. Telling anyone who will listen about their morning, you know, how parents do that, right? How was your morning? And they just tell them everything about it. And Dr. Rick says, you woke up early. No one cares. Uh, commenting on someone's blue hair, right? As parents like to do. And, and Dr. Rick says, we all see it. We all see it. Just let it go. Or the placement of too many pillows on the couch. Are there any parents who do that, right? And Dr. Rick says, look, if you have nowhere to sit down, you have too many pillows, right? So there's even a book, Dr. Rick's uh, A Guide to Unbecoming Your Parents. And this is brilliant. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home in auto when you bundle with us. Well, here's what I have to say. Paranomorphosis is a real thing, but it's not all bad. It's, it's not all bad. Are there certain traits about your parents that you would like to resemble? Can you think of some? I mean, I, I think about my parents. And I, I think about my, my dad in particular. There are some traits about my dad that, that I want to resemble. He's one of the most gracious men you'll, you would ever meet. Uh, he's kind. He's patient. He loves well. He generally cares about other people. He's peaceful. Nothing seems to rock him uh, or get him off of kilter. Uh, He's joyful and sober at the same time. He's got an enormous amount of self-control. He's faithful. If I could be like any other human, it would be my dad. And there's not even a close second. Like, I would like to be more like my father. But here's the thing about our parents. They're humans right? Our parents are humans, and so are we. And so we share not only some of those physical features and some of those quirky things, like putting too many pillows on the couch, we share in their fallen nature, and often what we repeat 
are the worst aspects of our dad or our mom, not the best. Well, here's what I want us to recognize tonight. When we were born of God, we took on the, a likeness to our father. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we share in our father's divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean that we're divine. It doesn't mean that we are becoming like God. It doesn't mean that. It just simply means that we share his nature, that we share a likeness to him. We aren't him, but we share that likeness to him because he is our father. It's deeper than appearance. It's who we are at our core. It's how we live our lives. It's what we value. It's how we treat other people. And as we mature in Christ, what happens? We become more and more like our heavenly Father. And the effects of that likeness in our life, it affects more and more of who we are. It affects more and more of how we live, and other people take notice of it. What I want to encourage us tonight is that our Heavenly Father wants us to grow in His likeness. Our Heavenly Father wants us to imitate Him. This is Ephesians 5, 1. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. There's another expression, like father, like son. Church, we are to become more like our heavenly father. God wants us to imitate him. We need to become more like him and less like ourselves. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So just as children learn by imitating their parents, so we learn by imitating God. What can we imitate about God? Well, I think right here, if you, if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, and you just look at the surrounding context, I think Paul tells us how we best imitate him, how we best reflect God. He says this in verse 2, after he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, he says, walk in love. I believe that God wants us to imitate his sacrificial love. The way that God has loved us, God wants us to love one another. I think we also, Paul points out here, that we imitate God when we imitate his forgiveness. If you look at the verse preceding where Paul says to be imitators of God, verse 32 of chapter 4, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. I don't, I don't know if we are ever more like our Heavenly Father than when we forgive someone who has wronged us. We've all been wronged, and we've all done some wronging. We've all been hurt, and we've all done plenty of hurting. And we have hurt no one more than we've hurt God. We've wronged no one more than we have wronged God, and yet God in Christ has forgiven us. And so we're to imitate God's forgiveness. And I ask you tonight, is there someone that you need to love? Is there someone that you need to forgive Someone who has wronged you, would you extend the forgiveness that God has extended to you? Would you extend that to others? I think also Paul tells us here that we imitate our Heavenly Father when we imitate His righteousness, His purity, and His holiness. If you go just a few verses back, in verse number 24, he talks about the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Okay? So God wants us to be an imitator of, of our Heavenly Father. Imitate His love. Imitate His forgiveness. Imitate His righteousness. Imitate His purity. You see, when we live with God's love, when we live with God's forgiveness, when we live with the purity and righteousness of God, 
we reflect our Heavenly Father and we bring glory to Him. So being a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it calls us to a, a higher standard. It calls us to a, a different kind of way of living that reflects our Father's likeness, not the world around us. Paul writes in Philippians 2.15, Be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Church, we are not to imitate the world around us. The hate, the bitterness, right? The anger, the wrath. We're not to imitate the world around us. We are to imitate our Heavenly Father, and we can do so because His likeness is stamped upon us. His Spirit dwells within us. We have been made partakers of His divine nature. Number three, in Christ, I'm adopted. In Christ, I have my Father's likeness. In Christ, number three, I am loved unconditionally by my Father. Loved unconditionally. John wrote this, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. You know, the kind of love that John is talking about here is a strange kind of love. It's an unusual kind of love. It's a kind of love that we're not really accustomed to. And John goes on to show us that God demonstrated his love, how? By sending his son to come into this world, to sacrifice, be the sacrifice for our sin. How many of us would have one of our sons die for someone else? How many of us have ever had someone die for us? This is the great love of God. And the, I, I believe it to be the greatest motivating factor in all of the world, God's love. You see, when someone loves you, it gives you hope. It gives you strength. When you feel loved or rejected by someone you love, it's, it's devastated. Love is the greatest uh, drive in the human family, right? A man falls in love with a woman and the woman falls in love with a man and, and some make such tremendous sacrifices for each other. But what a beautiful thing when a man and a woman come together and love one another and do life together. And when human love is genuine, man, it is just a noble thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And it's a tremendous drive. But although human love is wonderful, I want you to know tonight that God's love is far greater. Did your mom love you? Did your dad love you? Does your wife love you? Have you been loved by your children? Have you been loved by a parent? Listen, God's love is far greater. God's love far exceeds anything we can experience experience on the human plane. You think about parents. Parents, think about your children. Think about your children. There's no question. You love them. Dads, how many of you would lay down your life for your kids? Right? Of course we would. We would lay down our life and we wouldn't think about it for a second. We would do that for our children. Why? Because we love them. It's hard to see our kids hurt, isn't it? I don't think there's anything harder in life. I don't know. If there is, maybe I haven't experienced it yet. But watching our kids hurt, some of you have lost a child, like, to death. I, I, don't, I, I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend going through something like that when our hearts grieve and, and we're, there's, there's just a, a soreness in our heart that seems like it's never going to go away. I can't, I can't fathom it. Seeing your, your children go through sickness and, and struggle physically at times as a, as a parent, wouldn't you rather take the sickness? Wouldn't you rather be the one who's sick and hurting than watch your, ch your child sick and hurting? Yes. You think about how much you love your kids and then just multiply it by a million and you're not even close to... God's love for you as his child. It's completely unconditional. It's infinite. 
and it's unfailing. Simply put, God loves you perfectly. And nothing can separate us from it. Paul writes in Romans, a very familiar passage of scripture, I am persuaded that neither death or life or angels or ru- nor rulers, things present, right, any circumstance we could face, things to come in the future, we won't face anything in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, maybe we've heard it so often that it doesn't quite penetrate our hearts. But it should. It should. We should look to Calvary and see our Heavenly Father's love for us. I don't know that anything can bring us out of the depths of despair as the love that God has for us as his children. Number four, in Christ, as a child of God, I know my Father, and he knows everything about me. We know this. We call it omniscience, right? Simply that God is all Knowing, essentially, God knows everything, including about me. Everything about you. What does God know about you? What does God know about you? Probably the first thing that came to your mind is the verse. Jesus says that God knows how many hairs are in our head. You really stop and consider that. It's in the context of the fact that Jesus reminds his disciples that, that the Father cares about the birds. The birds. I was thinking this week, I was reading a book, and the author brought this up, that, you know, um, why do birds sing other than God created them that way? Did God have to make the birds sing? Dogs bark. Can you imagine a bird barking? But God, God created the birds to sing. It's amazing. Our, our God is amazing in how he, how he made all of creation. But, but Jesus wanted his disciples to know, and that means he wants us to know as God's children, that the same God who made the birds and who, who pays attention to the birds, and he knows when one bird falls, the same God who knows the birds, and he knows when a bird falls, he knows what our needs are to the point that even the hairs on our head have been counted and numbered. I mean, that tells me that God's knowledge of me is so complete that he knows things about me that I don't even know about myself. Is it possible to number the hairs on our head, excluding the bald guys in the room, right? Is it possible? I don't, I don't think it's possible. Here's why. You know, you, you start counting the hair, I'm looking for the fullest head of hair I can find, right? Linda's over there, got a big full head of hair. I mean, you, you take a big full head of hair and you start counting those hairs, okay? How long, how are you going to do that, number one? But how, how long is that going to take? And if you finally got it done and you're like, okay, the number is, my question is, is well, how many have fallen out in the process? How many have you lost along the way? You lost count of. And the fact that God has the number of hairs on our head isn't that God is just, you know, he's just, it's a cool fact to know. It's it's meant to wow us. I think it is meant to wow us. It's meant for us to recognize that God is that interested in the details of our lives. Church, we're not a random, we're, we're not a random ball of, you know, cosmic dust we are the created beings that god has made and he cares and he knows everything that there is to know about us including how many hairs that we have in our head god knows your hairs he knows your beginning this is psalm 139 for it was you who created my inward parts you knit me together in my mother's womb My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. My mom and my dad didn't know me until I was born. But God did. 
God did. The maker of the moon was there when you were in your mother's womb. One song has as its lyrics. God knows your beginning. He also knows our heart. Jeremiah says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, God says, examine the heart, the mind, excuse me, I examine the mind and I test the heart. God knows what is going on in our heart. John wrote, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. David, in Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me. You've known my heart. So God knows our beginning. He knows our hair. He knows our heart. He also knows our thoughts. David said, you understand my thoughts from afar away. No thought has ever crossed your mind that has not been seen by God. He knows our words. Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Every word that comes out of our mouth, God knows. In fact, Jesus said that we'll give an account for all of our idle words. He also knows about our actions. Psalm 139 again, when you know when I sit down and when I stand up. Isn't it amazing how God just did everything about us? My weakness Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of. Remembering that we are dust. God knows our weaknesses. He knows that we're humans. He knows that we're just dust. He knows all of that. And he also knows our days. As for man, Psalm 103, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field when the wind passes over it and vanishes and its place is no longer known. From eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. And so Moses said, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop our hearts to wisdom. And I love what David says, Psalm 139, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is if I counted them they would outnumber the grains of the sand. God knows everything about you. He knows what all the problems are. He knows what all your cares are. He knows every single thing about you. Number five, as a child of God in Christ, I know that I am provided for by my Father. I'm provided for. My Father knows what I need. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, your father knows the things that you need before you ask. And so Jesus said to his disciples, he said, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Your heavenly father, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, your food, your shelter, your clothing, will be added to you. Our heavenly Father provides for us. We've seen that in our life, haven't we? Time and time again, how God has provided for us. I was reminded, you know, how God has provided for us as a church, you know, thinking that this week, reading those verses. I've told you how sitting in a, at Johnson Memorial Park in Rhode Island, this is before we moved, we sitting there, it had just rained, and the birds were picking worms out of the dirt. I was thinking, how in the world am I going to provide for my family? and How are we going to do this? And my mind went to these verses God feeds the birds. There were birds picking worms out of the dirt while I was sitting there talking to the Lord about this. And you know, God has always provided. Is that your testimony? I think about my grandparents, my grandfather, Grandpa Crichton. He, he was a hardworking man, had owned a cabinet shop, and just a hard, hardworking man. 
They, didn't, they never really had a whole lot. I think they had to do a reverse mortgage, you know, when they were way up in years. Just barely, barely made it into heaven financially. But you know what? God took care of them and provided. You see, God, the same God, our Heavenly Father who takes care of the birds and who feeds the, wor- the, the birds, their worms, He takes care of us and provides for us. When we were signing the contract for on our property, the thought that was going through my mind was that it's just worms. It's just worms. God is just providing like he said he would provide, and that's what God has done. It's interesting, too, that God takes the worms out of the dirt, you know? God takes those worms out of the dirt, and you don't see a whole lot of worms here, right? I don't know that I've ever, have have you ever seen a worm here? Well, I know you can buy them, but I thought the ground was like concrete. I've, I've never seen a worm come up out of the ground here. But we've seen God, you know, the property that we bought years ago. It was dirt, and it was just dirt, but yet God took that dirt, and from that dirt, he took the worms out of the dirt that has provided the way for us. That's our Heavenly Father. In the same way, God... He provides for our needs. What are your needs? What are the needs of your family? What are the needs that you're facing? I know the economy's crazy, inflation. I was asking some guys over breakfast this week, how's, this, how's inflation affecting you guys? And, and you know, it, it, there's a pinch that I think a lot of people feel because of the economy. Listen, you can trust your Heavenly Father to provide for your needs. Be wise with your finances. Honor God with your finances, be a wise steward, and you can trust God to provide for your needs. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So you can depend on God to provide your needs. Secondly, or number six, excuse me, I can fully depend on my heavenly father. I can fully depend on him. You know, when some call God father, they're tempted to compare our Heavenly Father to the experience that we had with a poor or a failed father. And our perception of God can be tainted that way. Maybe maybe your father left. Maybe your dad cheated on your mom. Maybe your dad was abusive. Sometimes those who face those experiences... They, they go through life with this sense that if God is a father, he must be a terrible person. But despite the brokenness that we experience as human beings with human fathers who fail and who sin against us, I want you to know tonight that God remains a faithful father. A faithful father. God is a father who never abandons his children. He never abandons his children. God is never going to leave or abandon me. David says, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Do you know that tonight? Do you know that God is the father whose faithfulness surpasses by far that of men and women, fathers and mothers? And while it may seem at times that God has abandoned us, it's not true. God is always at our side. It is always our own denial of God that makes it seem that God has abandoned us. But know with all certainty that God is a God, our Father, who can be fully depended on. And so you can fully depend on God to be good. God is always going to be good. You can fully depend on God to do what's right. He will always do what is right. You can fully depend on God to always tell the truth. The scripture tells us that God will, it is impossible for God to lie. Maybe your father, you know, as fathers, we've done this, right? Tell our kids we're going to do something, and then something happens, and we didn't follow through. I've, and you guys know what I'm talking about? I've been there. And I, I, it got to the point where I was, 
I didn't want to make any promises. I'd be like, okay, let's see. We'll see how this works out because, you know, I, I didn't want to be breaking my word. I didn't want to say, yeah, we're going to do that. And then, it didn't, and then it didn't work out. Listen, God always tells the truth. You can always go to his word and know that it is the truth. You can fully depend on God for help. David says, my help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. You can depend on him for help. What do you need help with? Talk to him. Go to him. Ask him for help. He wants to help you. You can fully depend on him for direction. You need guidance. You need wisdom. You need, you need some direction in life. Go to your heavenly father. The scripture says in all your ways know him. And he will make your path straight. And you can fully depend on God for strength. David said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can depend on God for strength. Do you need strength? You're dealing with something you need strength for? Go to God. Go to your heavenly Father. Ask him for help and strength. Number seven, I can talk to my heavenly Father and he talks to me. We can talk to our Father. Jesus says this, Matthew 6, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus taught us that we can talk to God about our needs. Give us today our daily bread. Talk to God about that. What are your needs? Talk to him about it. I can talk to God about my sins that I've committed and, and the sins that have been committed against me. Jesus said, hey, talk to your heavenly Father. Say, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Talk to God about your sin. Seek his forgiveness and, and in doing so, forgive those who have wronged you. We can also talk to God about what stresses us. Paul uh, wrote this to the Philippians don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God what, what stresses you out talk to your heavenly father about it talk to your heavenly father about it what are you worried about what are you anxious about your heavenly father wants you to talk to him about we can talk to God about any care that we have. Peter wrote, casting all your cares on him, our heavenly father, because he cares about you. What's your care? What's your anxiety? What is your worry? Talk to your heavenly father about it. Just like dads, you want your kids, remember they're small, daddy, I need $5, Right? And all you're thinking is, kid, you could have asked me for 20 and I would have given it to you, <laughs> right? What, what dad doesn't want to give what his children want? Now, I know sometimes, just like our Heavenly Father, you don't all give them everything they want because you don't want them to grow up and be spoiled. But, but, you know, as a dad, as a mom, you want to provide for your kids. You want to give them, to, give them their, what their needs are. You want them to come talk to you about their problems and, and find help in you, right? In the same way, our Heavenly Father invites us to talk to Him about whatever it is we're facing, dealing with in life and everything in between. Number eight, as a child of God in Christ, I am secure in my Father. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So what is this? This is a statement of security, the eternal security of the believer. There's something magnificent about the picture that Jesus paints here, this picture of, of Jesus wrapping his omnipotent hands 
around us and the Father wrapping his almighty hand around his. You see that? We're in there. Jesus says, I have you in my hand and I am in my Father's hand. We are in, in feared, in sphered, if that's a word. We're, we are completely encapsulated. We are completely secure in Christ and in the Father. I think there's a, a, a beautiful picture of that in the Old Testament, and that's Noah, right? Remember Noah? He, he's finished. The ark is done. God says, hey, go get in the ark. Judgment is coming. The rains are going to come. And, and he goes into the ark. He takes his family, and God shuts the door. And what happens? The rain starts to fall. The flood the floods rise, but inside that ark, Noah was completely safe. That is a picture of the security that we have in God. As children, we know that we look to our father for security. Remember when you were small? Remember the, the first thunderstorm? Do you remember running into your parents' room and wanting to climb in bed with them? Why? It's, you were scared, and you knew if you could just be close to mom and dad, mom or dad, right, you, you would feel safe. You would have that sense of security. Well, listen. In the midst of the storms of life and whatever goes on in this hurtful and violent world, no matter what happens, we are kept secure in Christ by our Heavenly Father to the point that not even death can harm us. Not even death. For death simply ushers us into His presence. Our Heavenly Father keeps us secure. Number nine, as a child of God in Christ, I am taught by my Father. Taught by him. This is one of the most important things parents do, right? We teach our children. For dads, that means not only uh, that we teach them directly, formally, if you will, instructing them, if you will, like, you know, how to tie their shoes and, you know, all of those practical things, clean a fish, cut the grass. I mean, my dad thought it would be great to teach us how to sweep the road and the sidewalks and plant things. He was always bringing home rock or mulch or shrubs to plant, and it was just constant. He was always bringing, he was teaching us how to work, you know. Dads, dads do that. And a, and a good dad teaches his children. But most of that teaching is informal. It's not a classroom, it's just life is the classroom. And as we go through life, as, as parents, we, we see what our kids are going through and we try to help them through it and teach them through it. And the truth is, as our dads did that and our moms did that for us, we weren't always listening. And sometimes when we were listening, we thought, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm 16 and I got this figured out. I don't, my dad, my dad doesn't have a clue. But the truth is, children need instruction. Children need correction. If a child is left to himself, what happens? He grows up to be a selfish tyrant. A faithful father disciplines his children. This is what Hebrews says. We had human fathers discipline us. The word discipline means to instruct, to correct, to, to chastise we needed our human fathers to chastise us. That was instruction to us. And I, I'll tell you, honestly, I had my fair share. Did you? For us, it was a trip to the basement. A trip to the basement. We had a washing machine down there in the basement. And, and so, you know, as we got older, the idea was... If you needed a whipping, you went down to the basement and you stood, you stood there, you know, like you're about to, like the cops are going to frisk you or something. You stood there with your hands on the washing machine and, you know, he applied the board of education to the seat of learning, right? That's how it works. And let me tell you, it works. It works. And I know that nowadays this is like, what are you talking about? How many of you got whippings when you were a kid? All right, not everybody. Rick, you had two hands up. I guess you, got, you probably got as many as I got. I'll tell you this. I hated giving my kids spankings. I hated it. I dreaded it. 
one of my kids, who was it? I think it was, was it Nate? Nate, I think it was you, man. Nate, all you had to say was, Nate, you disobeyed, you did wrong, you're going to have a spanking. And, and the, the water works would turn on. I mean, it was, oh, no, you know, you, you didn't even have to give the kid the spanking. It was like, so sorry and repentant. Jonathan, on the other hand, man, he would stand there and take it with the sternest look on his face. Michaela, man, she was a squirmer. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't, couldn't get her to stay still, you know. I hated giving spankings to my kids, and I didn't give very many. I tried to give as few as I could because I hated it. But what's the point? The point is that kids need correction. I needed it as a kid. My kids needed it, and I need it. I've needed it throughout my life as a child of God. I've needed it. And God has chastened me. God has had to discipline me. But he does so in love. And what, the, what Hebrews says here is that he does it for our benefit. And I know as a parent, right, you always, you heard, this, hurts, this hurts me more than it hurts you. How many of you heard that? You, know, you, you told your kids there. And that's, that's true. I believe that's true. But, but isn't it when you, you don't do it out of anger, but you, you generally want to love your kids and instruct them that you do it from the right heart with the right motive. And we have to understand, what is our Heavenly Father's motive in chastening us when we rebel against him and we go our own way? He does this, the Bible says, this is Hebrews, so that it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. The word trained there is the same word we get our, our English word gymnasium from to train, to exercise, to rear, to bring up, right? That's the idea that God, that God rears us up. He trains us up in the gymnasium of life through discipline and correction. He instructs us when we go our own way. And he does that so that we, Hebrew says, so that we can share in his holiness. See, church, God wants us to be like him. He wants the fruit of righteousness to be born out in our life. So because he loves us as his child, there are times when he has to chasten us. Sometimes chastening comes in the form of guilty feelings or unpleasant circumstances. Sometimes it's a loss of peace. Sometimes it's relationship fractures or any other you know, number of negative circumstances that we could face. Sometimes the chasing of the Lord comes uh, in, in the form of physical illness, not always. It, just because you're physically ill doesn't mean that the Lord is chastening, chastening, but sometimes it is that. And that sometimes, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that if we persist in resisting the Father, God could even permit a believer's death. It's serious. Our Heavenly Father loves us enough to not let us just go our own way sometimes people ask if god is punishing them for wrong choices they've made in the past you ever feel that way i want you to know that all of our punishment for sin was exhausted in jesus christ on the cross the wrath of god was poured out on jesus on the cross and absolutely no wrath remains when we give our lives to christ our substitute for sin our sin is forgiven god doesn't remember it anymore however our wrong choices in the past sometimes bring unpleasant consequences now and into our future god doesn't always remove all the natural consequences of sin when we repent sometimes consequences are tools of god he uses to teach us, to instruct us, to lead us into those paths of righteousness. But here's the good news. There's a way back to the Father. And God always offers forgiveness. Let me give you number 10. We'll be done. Number 10, as a child of God in Christ, I am to bring glory to my Father. And I put this one last because this is really the, the crowning 
aspect of being a child of God. God wants our lives to bring glory to him. The scripture is full of verses about it. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you're bought with the price, so glorify God with your body. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. John 15, my Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Paul wrote, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Church, God wants our lives to bring him glory. What are our next steps? Number one, take the Father's offer to join his family. Take the Father's offer. Jesus said to all who receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. The good news is that it doesn't matter how far you've gone in sin or what your past has been all about, you might have given up on yourself, you might have totally lost hope for a better future, but I want you to know that God still invites you to come into his family. So take the Father's offer if you haven't to join his family. Number two, turn back to the Father if you've been running away. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is that of the prodigal son. Do you know it? It's Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son takes his inheritance and he he runs out into a foreign place, you know, away from his father, and there he gets wrapped up in all the allurements of the world, and sin just takes its toll in his life, and he ends up in the pig pen feeling completely empty. All along, his father was waiting for him at home. And the prodigal says this, I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. So maybe you've been away from your heavenly father. You know, you're a child of God. Maybe you've been experiencing the chastening of God. Well, could I encourage you tonight to take the first step home by simply doing what the prodigal did, change direction, and recognizing your heart, man, I'm empty. This world has nothing to offer. Why am I wallowing in the devil's pig pen? I need to go back to my father who loves me. Would you tonight in your heart turn back to him? He waits for you. He'll I love the story. I love in the story where the father runs to his son when he sees him coming down the road. And then number three, trust your heavenly father fully in every area of your life. The fact that we're adopted, that he's given us his likeness, that he loves us unconditionally, that he knows everything about us, that he's provided for us, he meets our needs, that we can fully depend on him, that we can talk to him, that we're kept secure in him, that he lovingly disciplines us, and that he longs for us to bring him glory. Let your identity and who you are in Jesus Christ as a child of God, let that be how you view yourself. Let your identity as a child of God impact how you live your life every single day of your life. Who am I in Christ? I'm a child of God. 